Okay, so today um, we're we're going to start the middle section of Shmona Esrei, which is the Bakashos. Um, so there are a few things I want to introduce about the middle, as I said, some of which I have not yet been able to find the details of. Like I saw indicators, but not, and, and I really would like, I always, as you know, like to have sort of an overview before we go into oh, the yeah. details of anything. Sometimes the overviews have more parts to them than the detail parts do. <laughs> but for me at least, I, it's actually the topic today now that I think of it. That is the topic, which is that if you have the overview, then you have so, it's like a framework so you understand even when you're missing pieces, at least the pieces you have have a place that they belong and a sense of purpose to them. And then you can fill in as you go along, but it holds it together instead of being a lot of just information. And it also, the overview is to provide us with a sense of purpose and goal. So what am I doing in this part of davening? Or what am I doing in this part of Shrona? What am I aiming for? Whether I manage to achieve it or not, every day is going to be different. How will I know which days it was closer to the target and which days it was less? How, how do I know what to strive for? On the days when I feel that I have a push inside of me to try and give it a little bit more, what am I, what am I trying to give? What, you know? So I wanted to do that. We talked about it for Shimona Esrei, but this is like a whole subsection in Shimona Esrei. And it's kind of the bulk. It, I mean, it's the meat and potatoes, maybe not the potatoes, the meat and the mincha of Shmona Esrei is really over here, then I want to understand that. And the answer, I mean, the fact is I don't understand it really. But I do have, at least for today, part one of this introduction, Baruch Hashem. Um, and I think that it's a good, it's a very good introduction and helpful in terms of understanding this. So it's an introduction to Atachonein Adam Das, which is this bracha that we're up to. But this bracha is the first one of this section. And so that's why instead of just learning it, it's about introducing it because this bracha is the introduction of this whole section, which was originally 12 brachos, is now 13 brachos of the bakashos. So first, maybe I'll just read it so that we have the basic concept. Atachonin l'adam da'as. Hashem, you grant freely to man da'as. Let's see. Okay, in the river, I'm just going to use the Rav Hirsch sitter. Perception. Okay. Umelamed le'enosh bina. And you instruct or teach people bina. He says here, insight. Chanenu me'itcha. Please grant us from you dea, which we just mentioned, the insight, bina, uh, sorry, day of perception, bina, insight, the haskel, and wisdom. This is the, the English translation from the Hirsch translation of the sitter. That's what I'm just using now. What is wisdom? Haskel. It's possible haskel. It's not doesn't No. Unless you're talking Nusach Sfard, in which case I think they say chachma binan das, which is where you get the chabad, right? Okay, but Nusach Ashkenaz is day of bina v'haskel. Baruch ato Hashem. Chonein hadas, who grants graciously or freely das. Okay, so there's, there's going to be a lot of questions to understanding it, and why, why do we say das and bina, and then again das and bina, adding haskel, but we didn't say it the first time the haskel, and then the bracha ends with only das, and not with bina and haskel, and, 
and the whole structure of the bracha is a little bit different than, it doesn't jump out at you because it's similar to the bracha before it, Atah Kadosh, which starts with an Atah. And even the one before that starts with Atah Gibor Le'olam Hashem. It's not so strange, maybe, but really all the other bakashos don't start that way. So in that sense, it's a little bit different. Like, there's all kinds of questions that will go with it, but for today, I wanted to look more at an overview. So that's, that's kind of the bracha and what it's about. Um, Rav Hirsch and his sitter, which I'm very grateful to my brother for lending me because mine's in storage. Rav Hirsch, in introducing Shemona Esrei, talks about it as having three parts. Now, we actually know that Shemona Esrei has three parts, right? Because the first part of Shemona Esrei is three brachos, the first three brachos, which is what we were learning up until now, which are the shavach, the praise of Hashem. The second part of Shemona Esrei is 13 brachos, and those are the bakashos, the requests. And the third part of Shemona Esrei is the hoda'a, the three brachas of gratitude. Okay, so we knew that. That's not what he says they are. Now, he's not contradicting it. Okay. At all. <laughs> what he's doing is he's telling you that those three parts of Shemona Esrei that we're accustomed to thinking of them that way are that way for a reason. I mean, why is it Shevach, Bakasha, and Hoda? Why do we have those three parts? So... We, I mean, we saw when we were looking at the introduction to Shimon Esrei that the Gemara says before a person requests anything, first he should praise Hashem, and after he asks, then he should thank Hashem. Okay, that's like a logical kind of reasoning about the structure, but really, Shimon Esrei is here to be the Korban Tamid. So Shimon Esrei is structured after the Korban Tamid, and therefore, he says the carbon has three parts, and so the Shemona Esrei has three parts. And those three parts are Shavach, Hoda'a, and Bakasha. But in between, you'd want to know what the three parts are. You understand? In what way are they the carbon? Because it's, it comes out of that, or possibly also the other way around, right? It probably works in both directions, that the Shavach, Bakasha, and Hoda'a goes into why the carbon has these three parts, and the carbon having its three parts, which we haven't talked about what those are yet, that is why it's Shevach Bakash and Hodam. I mean, they're, they're somehow the same. And we know they're going to be the same because we've talked about that many times, that the avoda of the Shemona Esrei is the avoda of the korban. And this is very interesting. He says, he says it's not just that the Anche Knesses Hagdola wrote Shemona Esrei, having in mind the korbanos. They did. He said, but you should know that even before the time of the Anshei Knesset Hagadola, people were saying this tefillah of Shemona Esrei. They said it outside the Beis Hamikdash at the time that the Korban Tamid was brought. I think we talked about this a long time ago. Okay, so when it was time, you looked at your watch, you know, your phone alarm rang, beep, time for the Korban, right? So then it was time for your Shemona Esrei. Everybody? Everybody. That's, that's where you dive in. Not just the Kohen. Kohen. No, no, you live in Haifa, right? Or where did you say your son is? Tzvas. Okay, so you're in Tzvas. You're nowhere near the Beis HaMikdash. But now is when they bring the Korban Tamid, so now is when you dive in. Okay, and you do your Avodah at a distance. And meantime, your Korban, because the Tamid is a communal Korban that you've contributed to, so your Korban is happening over there in Yerushalayim. And you are saying your Shemona Esrei wherever you are. 
He says, not only that, but the last two brachas of Shemona Esrei, the Ritzei and the Simshalom, which are, Ritzei is the, the, the bracha of Avoda, right? The Hashem, you should find desirable the Avoda of the Jewish people and the Karbanas. And the Shalom, which goes to the Birchas Kohanim, were also recited as part of the Korban in the Beis HaMikdash. It says that they would introduce it. They would say Ava Rabba. They would say Shema, V'hayim Shamoa, V'yomer, Emes V'yatziv, like we do in our Kriyashma. And then they would say also this Ritzay and the Sim Shalom in the Beis HaMikdash as part of bringing the Korban, as part of the service of the Korban. Okay, so that's, like, amazing. So he says the, the order of the Shemona Esrei parallels the carbon tamid, and it expresses in a verbal manner the thoughts which the avoda connected in action. So same thoughts, one is a verbal expression and one is an active expression. The active expression is the physical carbon, and the verbal expression is the tefillah, that we, and we still say it. Okay. So what are these three parts? He says the three parts that are the fundamental parts of the morning and evening Karvan Tamid are, first is Zrikas Hadam, which is sprinkling, showering the blood. So they would slaughter the animal, and then they, but they would catch the blood in a vessel, gold or silver vessels, and then they would bring it near to the Mizbeach, and they would... I don't, shower it onto the Mizbeach in different parts of the Mizbeach where you sprinkle the blood here or there. Okay, that's part one. Part two is called Haktaras Evarim. Haktar is like the word Ketoras, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, so it's the burning, uh, like the burning it into smoke, I guess. Um, now, in modern Hebrew, a katar is a, the engine of a steam train. <laughs> it's like, you know, you burn all the coal and the smoke goes up. Okay. Haktara sevarim, the burning of the limbs. But it's not just the limbs, it's all the organs. Okay, so after, now they slaughtered the animal and they, ca- they catch the blood and they sprinkle that on the mizbeach. And then the animal itself was severed into different parts. And all the different, because it's a carbon ola, so all the parts go onto the Mizbeach, right? So it's the offering of all the different internal and external organs. And the third part is the Mincha and the Sachim. Such a treat to see you. Thank you. So excited to see you. So the third part of a carbon, if you want. The third part of the carbon is the mincha and nesachim. Mincha is flour and oil, and nesach is wine. So there's flour, oil, and wine that are a Thanksgiving offering. With it's part of the tamid. So that's the third. Okay. So the Shemona Esrei also has these three parts. So the first thing we need to understand is what is right. We said the carbon itself is a physical action, evoking the thoughts, the kavanas of the avoda. And then we'll be able to understand. So, what, so once we understand what are those thoughts, then we can look to see how the Shemona Esrei verbally expresses the same thoughts. 
So the thoughts that are expressed by Zrika Saddam, that was the first part, right? Showering the blood. The blood, the, the Torah says, Hadam hu anefesh. The blood is the soul. Now the word nefesh for soul means the part of the soul that's the physical animator, right? It animates the physical body. That's the nefesh. Okay. So that zrika, he says, first of all, I, he doesn't say it into all different parts. You know, he'll just make one complicated sentence and you have to parse out all the details. But, so lizrok is to throw. I, I said showering because he talks about it soaring upward. Okay, the zrika is always like this. It's up and then it showers, it sprinkles down. Okay, so it's the elevation and the soaring upward of the entire physical endeavor of our lives. That's the representation. That's the thought that's expressed physically by sprinkling the blood of a korban. So the way he, trans- he says that is this. The blood of the sacrifice, that's, that's the nefesh, right? Because the blood is the nefesh. And that's a consistent model. It's, a, it's an explicit verse, but it's also a constant... They're almost interchangeable in Torah. When you see one, then you should think of the other. But the nefesh is like the neshama? Yes, but it's the, the neshama, so that a neshama is so purely holy and spiritual that it doesn't connect directly to the body. Mm-hmm. There are different levels of the neshama, and that allows it to, at the lowest level of nefesh, to connect to the body and permeate it mm-hmm. through the blood, the way that the blood gets to every cell of the body and provides it life, that's how the nefesh, mm-hmm. it permeates and soaks into every cell of the body and gives it its life. Okay, so the, the blood in that sense is where the physical and spiritual meet. Okay, it's not the highest part of the neshama. When we talk about the neshama the, going to Gan Eden or whatever, does the nefesh also go? Or is the nefesh the ne- I mean, the nefesh like, is attached. Like, I, I don't know, right, uh, yeah, like... What that means exactly, you know, it's one slit in a sleeve of the other somehow at different levels. I don't know exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 the, the nefesh stays with the, with the body. I don't know. Uh-huh. Well, the nefesh, I mean, at some point it's released as the body decomposes, right? There's aspects of the I'm soul wondering. that stay with the body so long as it's, I don't understand exactly, but the soul and the body in any case always stay sort of related to one another, whether they're directly attached or not. I don't know. This is... Uh, Okay. I asked one time about going to Beit Kvarot, what, what like, and then I heard that they said that in Beit Kvarot the nefesh is with, with the different bodies. <coughs> I, I have no clue. Okay. So the blood of the sacrifice is given up, accepted, and brought close, right? Because in other words, they're slaughtered and received, and then they bring it over to the Mizbeach. So it's brought close. That's the idea of korban and thrown up to the Mizbeach, and that's, the thought of that is the endeavor of a human soul to devote itself entirely to God's will. Now, what we're talking about is the soul devoting itself, meaning its, its physical life, life in the physical world. That's why it's the nefesh. But devoted entirely to Hashem's will, coming close to it, and soaring upward, on the Mizbeach of its own divine mission. Now, this idea we actually saw in Rav Hirsch. I'm trying to decide if I should be so bold as to try and find it. Um, yeah, because I have an idea where it is. 
that last sentence one more yeah. time. Yeah. The, the endeavor of the human soul to devote itself entirely to God's will and to soar upward on the high altar of its own divine mission. Okay, so that I'm, I feel quite certain, although he may say it in many places. Uh, hang on. But I know that we saw this here. At least I think we did. Okay, there is a pasuk at the end of Yisro, immediately after the Ten Commandments, and still part of the giving of the Torah. As I think we saw this year in the Parsha Shir, that, that uh, Yisro and Mishpatim are both the giving of the Torah. It doesn't actually stop at the end of Yisro, even though we're not saying the Ten Commandments anymore. They continue. Okay. Mizbeach Adama, Mizbach Adama Taseli. An altar of Adama, of earth, you shall make for me. And you should sacrifice on it your olos, your completely burned offerings, your shlamim, the peace offerings, your flocks of sheep and the oxen. And in every place where I will cause my name to be remembered, I shall come unto you and I will bless you. Okay, now what Rav Hirsch says about Mizbah Adamatasili is this. He says, our avo- this is telling us how we serve God. How do we serve God? Not by the previous Pasuk, which says, thou shalt not try to make gods of silver and gold. Right? Don't make images of that which appears to you to be higher, the sun, the moon, the stars. Rather, take what's down there in your sphere and elevate it. Take what's down. Our job is not to try and bring the spiritual downward. It's to elevate the physical upward. Okay. When you wish to come to me, if you want to get close to God... Don't represent to yourself things that you imagine are with me in heaven. Rather, ponder how I wish things to be done by you on earth. That's how you get close to Hashem. You bring upward what you do have in front of you, not speculating about what's going on up there and how you could bring it down towards yourself. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He also says, I, I think he says over here, the Mizbeach, Right? The mizbeach, the shape of a mizbeach is it's a square and it has like these corners that stick up, right? It's this reaching upward from the earth upward. It's the earth, not the heavens, that is your concern when you wish to come near to God. And so the altar is a mizbeach adama, it's an altar of earth. And even though there is an enclosure holding it together, right, of metal or stone, it's filled with earth, so it's a heap of earth reaching upward, rising up from the earth and connected still to it. There's no bottom to the Mizbeach, because it's supposed to be that it's filled with earth and connected to earth, and it's an expression of earthiness reaching upward toward heaven. 
It's the elevation of everything earthly and material up towards the spiritual and to God. And so the whole, the whole slaughtering of a carbon is not death and destruction. It's a giving over of the physical into the role of mizbeach, of elevation. Now there was another piece that he says... It is not heaven but earth raised up towards God, which is to be in our minds when we wish to step near to him. It is on it, a mizbacha dama, that we dedicate in olos our active life, our endeavor to get nearer to God. I, I think there is a similar pasuk in Vayikra where he I think we're first talked about, I know other, other Mepharshim do, that there's a way of, you can read into, make for me, you should make for me an altar of earth, that it's referring to each person, because of each person, Adam, Hashem created Adam, Afar Min Adama, right, dust of the earth, so the word Adama is related to the word Adam, a person, and that Mizbah Adama Taseli can also be read as make yourself into a Mizbah Adama. Make yourself. You are now, here you are, this lofty soul in this physical body. Make that physical body. Make that physical life. Use the physical things around you to be a Mizbah Adama, something which is of the earth and reaches up like a Mizbah towards the heavens. And in that, the way that we draw close to Hashem then is we concern ourselves with how to elevate this, the physical and therefore you do not have to look for me in images, says Hashem. You will recognize me in the blessing I will dispense to you. He says, where I wish my name to be mentioned, I will come to you and I'll bless you. I will give you bracha. And in that, you can see that Hashem has come present to you. It's not that you brought him here, so to speak. You didn't reach up to heavens and try and pull things down. But in elevating the physical, then Hashem will cause his name to rest there, and that will be evidenced in the bracha. Okay. This is the structure, to a great extent, of how he's understanding Shemona Esrei as well, which are these three parts. Part one, we said, was Zrika Saddam, which is the dedication, sort of causing it to rise upward on what he called the altar of its own divine mission, the soul, right? So the Mizbah Adam Atasali, make yourself into the Mizbeach, is each soul in, has its Mizbeach, so to speak. Even though in the Beis Hamikdash there's one Mizbeach that serves us all, each soul has to make itself its own Mizbeach as well. Not a physical one, but in that process of directing our hearts and minds towards the Mizbeach and towards the Beis Hamikdash and our prayers, each one of us comes with our own mission that elevates on this Mizbeach. The second part was the Haktara Sevarim, right? So the dividing up and the burning of all the different internal and external organs and limbs. He says that is the offering of all of our own internal organs and limbs and external, all of our parts, our intellectual parts, our moral parts, our physical activity. And the fact that that is, the, is burned means that we're saying there's something that we give it over to. 
There's something that we allow to take over and control all these different limbs. So what does that mean? What's the th what is that thought that is being expressed? It's the fulfillment of the different, what he calls tasks set by the law. In other words, mitzvot. Right? We saw this idea in the Orachayim years ago. The Orachayim talks about how each part of the body is particularly attached to different mitzvah. Each mitzvah has an effect on in a different aspects of the body. Right? And in this way, the entire body can become holy through the actions of doing the different mitzvahs. We don't know what those connections are, but they're there. Oh, we don't. No, for the, no mostly no. Okay, I, I'm not sure even, I mean, I don't but know. I what do so. Kabbalists know? Maybe, no, but you know, but I think mostly have, not. And they haven't really, and they, I'm sure that somebody's tried to figure it out. Probably. Yeah. I wouldn't trust it. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> for the most part, it would have to be a very good oh, source. Okay. Right? So I think because we, in general, in how general, do how do we know the principle? Yeah. So I, I would have the to go idea. find that Orachim because he okay. brings it out based on the verses. The oh, Psukim okay. themselves seem to indicate this sort of thing. But there's also correlation between the body and the Mishkan and the Torah. Like these things correspond and work to each other. Um, when it comes to the Mishkan, sometimes it's easier to see because there's already a physical avoda there. So you can have the blood that represents one thing and the different ivarim that represents something else. You have the shulchan, which is more the parnasa side, and the menorah, which is the wisdom side. There are these things that corresponds to the human body, right? But some of it is also the idea that Hashem does not tell us the reward of a mitzvah, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're not supposed to say, oh, this part of the mitzvah, this is more important, I'm going to chase over this one, I'll get a better a better, um, you know, return on my investment of effort <laughs> if, I, if I work on the one that's for the heart, you know, instead of the one. There's certain things, like we know tefillin is clearly directed directly at our minds and at our heart, I mean, and our arms. Like these are, some things are a little more maybe straight out there than others, and then there's others that aren't, because we saw the Ramchal says, I think in Derech Hashem, he talks about this kedusha of tefillin <clears throat> and the holiness that the tefillin draws down to the head and to the arm. And then he says, but the Kedusha of Shabbos has a similar type of effect, only much more so. To the point that it overwhelms that of the tefillin, and the tefillin, you don't wear tefillin on Shabbos. Because that would almost look like you were denying the effect of the Shabbos itself, right? So women, like, don't have to get too freaked out about the, like, tefillin thing, like we do have Shabbos, and we're good. Okay. So you're saying the Kedusha of Shabbos is greater than all of the um, other... I wouldn't say that because oh. I didn't see those exact words. Oh, I'd be okay. scared to say it because exactly yeah, this yeah. point that so we're great. not... It's very great. Right. It seems that the a similar action that Tefillin has all week, Shabbos has, but in a much greater extent. But then you could imagine a person saying, you know what, so let me work on Shabbos and I will ignore Tefillin because, hey, I have Shabbos. Right? So if you're a woman, that's good because you don't have a mitzvah of Tefillin. Right? But if, uh, if you're going to start, people start making their own judgments in Shikulim, what they end up doing is saying, you know, I know better than God. This is just like a trick. Right? These are just tools and I'm going to manipulate. They're like power tools and I'll just do whatever I feel like or whatever strikes me and fits my intellectual understanding. And that's a very sad mistake because it's no longer service of Hashem. It's just service of me and what's exciting to me and how I think I'm going to be clever and direct the world in accordance with my wishes, which is the opposite. So generally speaking, the Torah doesn't tell us what the rewards for things are, what mitzvah is more important than another mitzvah. Yeah. Okay. What, what, because if we would know these things, it would distract us from just doing them. And the, there's an overall goal, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Okay. So he says... 
This is offering the internal and external organs of intellectual, moral, and physical activity to the fire that is the law of God, so that by fulfilling the tasks set by the law, they may nourish and nurture all that is divine on earth. We're going to come back to this. The third part, <laughs> the mincha and the nesech, that's the flour, the oil, the wine, that's the thanksgiving. This tribute goes to every ola and is a demonstration of thanksgiving for the sustenance, the wealth. Okay, sustenance is the flour, right? Kemach, it's like the, the fundamental, like bread. It's the main nourishment. Oil, shemen, because oil is something rich. And you could have matzah. You could have flour and water, and you could live on that. If you're mixing flour and oil, it's a certain, I must have plenty to do that. Because the oil is already an extra. So that's, we even describe oily foods as having like a richer taste, right? Like, you, okay, so that represents the wealth. And the wine, which is the joy, because it gives a happy feeling. So we're thankful for that. Okay, now I just want to, what I wanted to do was to get a little bit of a grip on what this means to us. Because <laughs> he thinks he told us. And um, I think there's something, a, a layer here that like is still missing to connect it to what, who we are. Which is this. And, and we touched on it with this question of the mitzvot and, you know, picking or choosing. Okay. Which is this. The first part is a whole. It's the blood, which is the whole of the person's life. It's not like the blood of the toes versus the blood of the shoulders, right? It's all one. It permeates the entire life. It's the whole life force. So step one is the recognition. And the, it's not more than recognition. It's the really giving ourselves over to that entirety of giving ourselves over to Hashem's will and dedicating ourselves to the mission that each one of us has a whole mission of our whole self and all of that is dedicated to Hashem, recognizing it and embracing it and choosing into it. The next phase is the individual organs and limbs. It's cut up and divided because how do you do a whole mission? Well, there's like a lot of different things. Like you're a mom and you're a daughter and you're a sibling and you're a colleague and you're... You know, you, you make Shabbos and you give tzedakah and you learn Torah and you do chesed. There's so many different things we do. You say brachos. There's all these different parts to doing Hashem as well. So you could get, I mean, on the one hand, the first most important thing is the recognition of that whole and that mission, that divine mission that's unique and your own and your relationship with God. But if you just stop there, there's no implementation, right? You're just there. It's uplifting and it's lofty and it's exciting. But you haven't caused it to become anything. It hasn't taken any form. Is that, does it have anything to do with the, the, the idea that you said you may not visualize? We are not to visualize an image of, of heaven of the heavens so when we when we are doing the giving of ourselves over to Hashem 
how are we supposed to, if we're a visual person, I'm more visual, mm. some people are more auditory. I, I don't know if I'm, I'm kind of a combo, but mm. anyway, how do we manifest that mentally? What image would you say? What would you, what did, what does anyone suggest to, con, to conjure mm. up or to give yourselves up to Hashem? I would say the direction he's pointing us to, this isn't exactly what, because it's not a specific example of an image, but what Rav Harsh is pointing us to is something that looks into ourself. Okay. So rather than, uh, what does it mean that I'm giving myself over to Hashem? means I look into myself. What is myself? What is the mission of, of the giving over? So it's a looking down, not a looking up, but it's a looking down that will reach up. Right, so when if a per, when you work on it, I think we talked about this a year ago, like going into the Yamim No Rhyme, right? We talked about the idea of trying to get a sense of personal mission. One way to do that is by looking at the different roles we play. If we're having trouble figuring out, you know, it's you can kind of generalize and say, yes, it's to give my whole self to God's service. And how do you do that by mitzvos? But there's something, you know, he even says here, right? Like the the own its own divine mission. I mean, each of us there's somehow a different angle. Is we're each a different, a different facet of that prism of the revelation of God through Tzalem Elohim and mankind. So you still want to get some sense of that. It gives great joy. Does a person have to have their sense of unique and per- personal mission? It's also a topic that I have for today. Do you have to have that? I don't know. Like, I guess God will cause you to do whatever it is you need to do. One way or another, it'll get done. But, like, but there's a great joy in that, right? That's... Uh, like I said, this is part of a different part of today's topic. But if we say, for example, um, in Pirkei Avos, Rabbi Akiva taught, Chaviv Adam Shenivra V'Tselem. Beloved is mankind who is created in the image of God. Chiba Yesera, but it is an extra degree. It's, it's exceeding affection. No Daslo Shenivra V'Tselem. That he was told, he's informed that he was created in the image of God. God didn't have to tell us that. He could create us in his image and not ma- mention it. But it's, it's a tremendous gift. It's a joy. It gives flavor and purpose and meaning for us to understand what our purpose is here. To look for it. Yes. To look for it and to, and to have a sense of it. Mm. When you gain a sense of mission, you know, simple as a function of knowing purpose. When you have a sense of what you're doing and why you're doing it, it gives a very deep sense of joy. And this is, you know, this is when you look, sometimes you look at animals and they can behave in ways that look so, you know, or at least we could project mm-hmm. such anthropomorphized, you know, <laughs> thoughts onto, I don't know, apes or chimpanzees or something. Mm-hmm. But they don't worry about purpose and mission. It's enough yeah. to live in this moment. I have an itch, I'll scratch it, right? Somebody is threatening, I'll fight or I'll make up with them. It's not. Mm-hmm. A, a human being does not really feel very satisfied if he doesn't think his life has a purpose, mm-hmm. a higher reason to be here, some way we can change the world and make it different. This is not a Jewish thing, per se. Yeah. This is a human thing, right? This is a, a degree of exceeding love that not only are we created in the image of God in some way, but that we're told it. Okay, so this, this is a great joy for a person to feel. To have, and this comes from looking at ourselves by saying, so who did God create me to be? 
who could I hypothetically become with these strengths that I have? What could a person be if those strengths were really maximized, right? With the opportunities that I have, with the particular amount of wealth that I have, or the talents that I have, or the persistence that I have, or the knowledge that I have. Okay, so that gets down, that can help you get a sense of the overall mission and elevating all of that. But then it, you have to break it down into the separate parts. How does that actually play? It's very nice to be, you know, I hate to demean it this way, right? But how many, how many movies or I imagine novels or, right, like our, our love stories... And it's, I love you so much. I love you with all of me, right? And, and it, maybe people really mean it and really feel that at some moment. But we all know that that moment doesn't last, right? So then it comes into, like, the commitment. So what does it mean that you really love someone, right? It means that you will give them half the room in your closet. Like, there's, like, some very practical, like, <laughs> ways that that, like, I have... I don't just mean like room in the closet, right? It means I have room in my life to make room for somebody else and what they need and what they want, right? And maybe it's really important to them to live in this part of the world and maybe I really wanted to live in that part of the world. So do I give myself over to that? Do they give themselves over to me? Like where there's a lot of different parts. There's like the whole overwhelming feeling of love and that's necessary because you could hardly expect somebody to like go through, you know, all the different the different actions required, you know, just, I don't know, because, like, it's nice. So having that overall feeling that there's a purpose and a meaning to all of this and the dedication to it, but then it, it does have to break down into something actual. So that gets down to more of a focus, not just a practical implementation, but, but an elevation of the practical. So now when I'm making dinner, you know, I'm not just feeding myself, I'm also feeding someone I love. When I'm doing laundry, I'm not just doing laundry, right? The Kohanim, which is like a very, they used to fight for the opportunities to do avoda. But if you look at what's the avoda, you know, it's cleaning and tidying and washing and sweeping and, right? Like, it's really what women do in the home is what the Kohanim were vying for opportunities to do in the Beis HaMikdash. Because that's what you do when you love somebody. But it elevates it. At least when your mind is on that, it elevates it. When your mind is not on it, then it's drudgery. Or if you never had a sense of mission and purpose and love and dedication, then it's drudgery. Or it's just necessary, even whether you like it or not. You know, maybe you can make it more interesting and try new recipes. But like, right? But when you're doing it for someone you love and you have a sense of awareness and commitment about it, then it's exciting to do that. Right? When someone you love has been away and then they come back. When you make that dinner or when you drive out to pick them up at the airport, it means something more. Because you have a heightened awareness. You reconnect with the sense that that's why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I love them. Okay. This, when it comes to dedicating ourselves to Hashem, is expressed as doing the mitzvahs. These are all the different parts and all the different ways of fulfilling our mission. And we may all have the same mitzvahs, and yet they play out differently in each of us. Different opportunities for them, different different strengths in them, different focus, different learning, all of it plays out differently for each of us. But what it does is, it he describes as nourishing and nurturing that which is divine on earth. When we do mitzvos, what we're doing is making something physical happen 
And through that, we've talked about it with Shira, right? The idea that if you if you make a if you um, if you eat a salad, okay, so you can eat a salad, and now this like lettuce has fulfilled its life, you know. You could also have lettuce that sat out in the grass somewhere and never did anything. It just rotted. Okay, that's maybe not nothing because it will provide some kind of nutrients into the ground for the next thing or maybe the seeds, maybe some animals or bugs or birds came and ate from the seeds and they were sustained by it, but it also could go and it could feed a person. And what is the person going to do with that energy, right? I'm not sure how much you get energy from lettuce, but whatever it is that you will get from the lettuce. Some, a little, <laughs> okay? Or at least maybe some sort of precious because you chose the lettuce instead of the schnitzel. So like, okay, so that's maybe a good thing. I don't know, right? You get the point. Okay. But then what happens if you say a bracha? So now the fact that this lettuce lived its lettuce life now becomes an expression of God's greatness on earth. It becomes a trigger for that to be spoken out into the universe. So we're not normally thinking about our influence on lettuce, right? We're thinking about like us and our bracha. If we're lucky, we're thinking about our bracha and what it means about us and our relationship to Hashem and our gratitude. But from the point of view of the lettuce, we've given it an opportunity to be fulfilled as a lettuce to a much greater extent because everything in the world was created for the glory of God. And when that piece of lettuce becomes a, a verbal expression of the glory of God, let alone if you then actually used energy from it to do mitzvahs, which then would become an active expression of the glory of God because you're doing it because it was God's will, right? There's something that happens there for the lettuce, right? That's not something we normally think about and it's not really super relevant to us. It comes out in other things. You take an animal and it becomes a korban, right? So our goal is to think about what our, our job is to do. But really, from the point of view of an animal, it is an ultimate elevation for it because it is not capable of speaking out praise of God. The best it can do without human intervention, and, and it's a very good best, is by living in accordance with how God created it to be. That itself is an expression of God's greatness in the world. Okay, and that's good. But that's why when, when they took the two matching cows to Har HaKarmel, and Eliyahu Anavi said, okay, you're going to take one of them, and it's going to go on the Mizbeach of the Baal, the Avodah Zarah, and you take the other one, we're going to put on the Mizbeach for God, and let's see which carbon gets taken, right? The cow that had to go to the Mizbeach of the Baal refused to go. Like, are you kidding? <laughs> That, it, this is the Medrash says, right? The cow would not go. They couldn't get it over there. Okay? And it went and it hid under the cloak of Eliyahu. It, I, you can't blame it. That's what he says. <laughs> One smart cow. <laughs> and it said, my brother, right? Because they took, they had to take two cows. They might have even been siblings. I don't, I haven't learned this in detail in quite a long time. Okay? These two had to be exactly the same age and the same color and the same size, like indistinguishable. So that there was no, this is, so, so he gets to go on a Mizbech for Hashem and I get to go on a Mizbech of the Baal? No way. I wasn't created for that. And it won't go. And Eliyahu says, no, no, you were created for this. Because even though you're going on a Mizbech that's meant for Avodah Zarah, the fact that you will go there and you will not be burned is going to be the second part of the glory of God over here that's going to happen from this event. 
right? It's not just because the whole thing over here is that there's two Mizbeachs. So if there would only be one cow that would only be on the Mizbeach for Hashem and it would get burned, the people over there by the Baal would say, yeah, but if we had a cow, <laughs> it might be different. So you are serving Hashem, you're just doing it in a very backhanded way. But that's okay, because the outcome of your life is going to be a tremendous Kiddush Hashem. And the cow said, okay, so I'll, I, it bought into this, it said, okay, on condition that you bring me there. Meaning, if Eliyahu Hanavi really believes that this is a form of Kiddush Hashem, then he'll bring it. Because, like, how could you bring a carbon over for an Avodazara? Right? And Eliyahu said, okay. And he walked it over. And so it went. It went willingly. Because what was the outcome? The outcome had two parts. The outcome was because the first cow was burned on the Mizbeach for Hashem, and because the second cow was not burned on the Mizbeach of the Baal, despite the fact that they had like rigged it with somebody inside, and despite the fact that on Eliyahu's Mizbeach they drenched it with water, and it still worked out that way. So because of each of those cows working together was everyone saying, Hashem hu ha'elokim, Hashem hu ha'elokim. It's this tremendous, tremendous Kiddush Hashem that happened. The impact continues. Okay, so this idea that there are the individual, this, we're nourishing and nurturing all that is divine on earth through our mitzvahs. Because our mitzvahs are a physical expression of performing the will of God. And then there's finally the third part, which is thanksgiving for the sustenance, wealth, and joy. That's Hashem saying, I will come and I will bless you. It's recognizing that the bracha that we have is really the result, outcome. It's, it's tied in. It's a function of the way, the, this purpose, that the purpose is full dedication to Hashem. It plays out in the separate organs and limbs. And therefore, we're given those organs and limbs, so to speak, in order to perform it. And we're grateful for that opportunity. And that is that idea of needing to have the sense of overall mission and wholeness. That's the first part because that is really the main thing. But even though it's the main thing, it requires the separate parts. Why? Because that is the definition of that which is spiritual and how it plays out in the physical. Right? That's always like the one which becomes ten. Right? That's always how things are described as, as creative forces. Right? There's the word of, there's the act of creation, and yet there's ten statements of creation. There are ten dibros, even though there's one Torah. Because when Hashem's spiritual force is expressed out into a physical world, only Hashem is one. So that becomes expressed as it multiplies. That's also the word bracha, is multiplying, right? It's all twos, it's all multiplying. That's bracha. How does that, how does that, how does that Oh, because it's the letter Bez, Resh, and Chaf, which, okay. which are two, 220. Okay. So each one is the two. It's, the co- it's a concept of multiplication, a concept of that which is spiritual coming into creation and into the physical world, but never as oneness. It comes in as separateness. Wow, Bracha, I'm afraid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have whole shears on Bracha. Like a, <laughs> okay, and then the goal, and, and obviously in our unification, are saying, Hashem Hashem Echad. There's, a, there's a concept of uniting the world to Hashem's service, and that creates what's known as keter, right? Like the idea of 
of a unity of service of God, of all the separate parts coming together. Shemona Esrei itself ends with Shalom. Shalom, we talked about usually Shavuos time, because of the number 50, which is half of 100, whatever. Okay, Shalom is not when everybody is the same. Shalom is the harmonious working together of different forces. Mm -hmm. So when everybody's different, but you put it all together because it's all working together for a common role and purpose, then you have something called shalom. So that's the goal on earth. That's a goal of humanity. It's a goal within Kalal Yisrael that we should have shalom, right? And even within a person himself and his own avoda, there's this concept that there's one whole mission and dedication, and yet there's a lot of different ways it plays out. And a lot of different forces and a lot of different demands and a lot of different things that we are busy with in our lives, and yet we come and brings it all together, and we have shalom. 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 That's really what it is. But it's... The key is that shleimus is differing forces working in harmony, not similar forces working in harmony. That's what, what's so expressive about the idea of shleimus and shalom. It's not that we've pushed everyone so that they're all the same. Yeah. It's the diversity that comes together so that all, each of us with our weaknesses is filled in by the strength of somebody else and vice versa. Okay. And all of this then reframes, because remember, this is talking about an introduction to this part of Shemona Esther, which is the bakashos. Bakashos is what we're asking for. So we spent a lot of time before we talked about Shemona Esther at all, our bakashos and how they're phrased in terms of Hashem's will and this, this alignment of, of our will and God's will at the level of Shemona Esther, so that there's no longer me and him, there's really just Hashem. Mm-hmm. and his will. Even in terms of bakashos, of asking for what we want in Shemona Esrei, it's all framed now in this different context that maybe we didn't think about before. When I want something, when I need something, when I ask for something, what am I asking for? I'm asking for a piece that will fit in or help me to do the different tasks assigned to me or offered to me in fulfilling my mission, in dedicating this life to Hashem. That's, that's how I could think about the things that I want. Do I want them because of myself? Not at the level of Shemona Esrei. I don't, I don't beg for cake in Shemona Esrei. There's a, a rising above the taiva, and being able to look at my life in terms of it's all being perfectly dedicated to him, even though when I come back down to earth, maybe I find it isn't, I haven't quite achieved that, in fact. But rethinking my life in that sense, so that that's where I'm striving, that's where my head is twice a day, right? Three times a day. That's where I'm oriented. We talked about that with like turning ourselves, it's like a compass, right? We keep heading for true north, only our true north is not the North Pole. Our true north is, is the holy of holies, that I'm always striving toward this kind of perfection. And that's, that is where I ask for my needs from God. From that perspective is where, in my davening, I tell God what I want. <laughs> is from a place where I'm, I'm looking at the purest part of myself and the most dedicated part of myself. 
and, and how it all is really for Hashem's will and his sake and in order to bring out his glory. And it's not a contradiction. It's a way of understanding what we need and want. Okay. Um, I, I want to I take this forward one, another step or two. Um, das... Okay, Refersh gives it some definitions for das, bina, and haskel. I'm just going to say them quickly because they're, it, the way he defines it is relevant to what we're talking about, but today's topic is not the separate words. So das, he says, is the true perception of the real nature of things and conditions. Bina is the insight into the interrelationships of things. And that can be gauged through logical judgment. This is Refersh's definitions. Haskell is practical wisdom, the application of what has been learned so far. That's how he defines it right here. Okay. So what he says is this. Why is the first bakasha for mental ability? It's really what it is. Atachonin adam das. He says that's the foremost concern of a Jewish person. And that takes precedence over all other wishes. That's very, very interesting. The ability to think and think clearly, to understand things truthfully and truly as they are, that's really the very first concern of the Jew. And that, that is the transition from that first state of the first three brachos and full dedication to Hashem in a global way or in a, a personally global way of my life, my mission. But in order to implement it, please, I need to know. How will I know? If I don't know the Torah, if I don't know the mitzvahs, how will I know how, what to do? Right? And sometimes we're in a dilemma. How will I know what to do? What do you want from me? Right? Just to have the knowledge then becomes the first concern before any other request. How would I know what to ask for? What's really good for me? What's not really good for me? What are the tools I, I don't even know? So that knowledge is the first thing. And the it seems to me, and I'll tell you another statement he makes that I think confirms this, that the gift of das, das, you grant to mankind das, that is the gift of humanity. So there's the indication of that in Rashi, right? When, Hash, when, when the Torah says that Hashem breathed into Adam, this, a living soul, Rashi said over there, in what way is this a living soul more than any animal's living soul? It has a greater degree of life to it because Hashem gave Adam Deya Vidibor. Deya, that's what we're talking about here, Das, right? And Dibor, speech. Right here, you really have the coming together of Deya and Dibor because you're speaking out the need, the, the request for the Das, which is a way of saying, please, this is the, I, I'm grateful and begging for the gift of being human. Because without the day on Dibor, I don't have Bechira, I don't have free will, which is that uniquely human quality. Otherwise, I'm just reacting. Something happens, I respond. Something else happens, I react. I don't have a sense of purpose and goal. And hang on, maybe I'll ignore that, because maybe that's really off topic for me. And let me go forward. We all know this, whether it's business or personal or anything. Good morning. Do you mind coming around? Here, and then Molly gets it there. Mommy, a good friend of Molly came. Can you get, are you okay? 
so for us to have choice and to choose something, you have to have a sense of knowledge, of purpose, of mission, of what you're choosing about. In order to make a choice, you have to have a sense of, of goal. So, okay, what, which would be better? Well, better for what? Like, otherwise, you're just reacting to everything. And this is similar. That's why I brought out the Pirkeavos. Um, maybe before this. So here's two lines from Rav Hirsch. Rav Hirsch says, why does it say, Adam das? you gave to Adam das? Because without Das, man is not truly human. So I think that's pretty much what it, mm -hmm. I was saying there, right? That is the humanity. And, so, and that is the first step. Because without it, you don't have any way to fulfill what you could be. He says, the virtues of morality and loyal fulfillment of duty are very much dependent on proper understanding. If a person lacks wisdom and insight, his conduct cannot remain free of fault and error. You're just flailing around like... Maybe occasionally you'll hit the target by accident. But that's it. There's no that sense of purpose and mission. That's really this, this mission in Avos. Chaviv Adam Shenivra B'Tselem. Beloved is a person who's created in the image of God, which to a great extent means created with the ability to choose. That is, to a great extent, the, uh, the expression of our being in the image of God. Chiba Yisera Nodas Lo Shenivra B'Tselem. And even greater is being told that. Imagine if we each had to figure that out from scratch. Like, most people would go through their whole life and never get to it, and then you never got to start. Chaviv and Yisrael, beloved are the Jewish people, shenikra uvanim lamakom. They're called the children of God. Chiba Yisera nodas lam shenikra uvanim lamakom. We could be God's children. He didn't have to tell us we are. That's just love. To tell us that he considers us his children. Beloved is a Jewish people who have been given a klichemda, a precious vessel, a precious instrument, a tool, right? Because if you have all this purpose and all this sense of being special to God and you're dedicated to him and you have all the first part of the Shron Esrei but you have no clue what you should do, so how, right? Torah is like instruction, right? So now what? What do I do with it? Try and figure that out on our own. How many of us are in Avram Avinu? There's been one so far. <laughs> in all these years, there was one Avram Avinu that we learned he kept the whole Torah. Right? That he wasn't given the Torah. He was able to figure out all the aspects of how Hashem wanted him to perform God's will. But there's only one Avram. <laughs> there hasn't been another one. Right? So, God gave us the Torah. That's a huge of expression of love so that when you come and you say I want to serve you I want to do whatever it is I want my life to have meaning I want it to be that everything I'm here and I'm touching is adding to the glory of Hashem in the world through, my, through the fact that I live here and Hashem said okay here's, here's the list you could do these things in those situations right? but what if we didn't know that that's what that was that would also be a huge loss to us so chiba yasera nadas lahem it's an extra love that it was told to us. In each case, it brings the pasuk as to how, how it was brought to us. So, and again, it's this introduction to this section of Shmona Esrei that is the separate limbs and organs, which are given over to the fire of the law of God. The laws of the Torah. <clears throat> this is Rav Hirsch's commentary on this Mishnah in Avos. 
The laws of the Torah are those laws by which all the creatures, phenomena, and developments of the rest of creation continue and endure. Transposed into a smaller scale to be a law for the shaping of the lives of individuals and nations. So the entire world is an expression of God's glory, and it's all in miniature within the Torah, so to speak. I'm not sure which is the miniature of which. It's all expressed within that. At the same time, the Torah is the instrument for the fulfillment of the goal for which God created the whole world to begin with. This is what we're talking about with the karbanos, with the eating, with the... The purpose and goal of the physical world is tov, the recognition of all that is morally good. The verdict of tov was pronounced over the work of every single day of creation, and finally over the sum total of the universe that was brought into being. But this good, this goal for which the entire world was made, and which it is man's task to achieve, can be attained only through Torah. The Torah is lekach tov, a teaching through which the good can be won. Therefore, God warns us, Torah si azovu, don't abandon it, because this is how you're going to get to the whole goal. Our, thus, our awareness of the unique and lofty significance of Torah, okay, so there's das right there. God has granted us knowledge. He has granted us the knowledge of Torah, and he is, that it exists, and he's granted us the knowledge that it is Torah, that it's instructions and guidance for achieving good and achieving the purpose of ourselves and of the world. Awareness of the unique and lofty significance of the Torah should help us view the Torah as the inalienable good for whose preservation, realization, and ever-increasing acknowledgement we should live, offering up to its fulfillment all that we are and all that we have, and if need be, even life itself. That's not sacrifice in the English sense of the word. Offering even life itself up toward the fulfillment of Torah is fulfilling the purpose of living. That's what our life is about, right? So we know elsewhere, Rav Hirsch talks about the, the flames of the Akeda, right? And Rav Hutner's song is Eish HaAkeda, right? The, the fire of the Akeda that Yitzchak was brought up to the Akeda and didn't die, which meant he kept on living as a korban, and that all of his descendants, the Jewish people, are a continuation of this korban of Yitzchak, of living korbanos, but dying as a carbon is not a contradiction to that. It's, it's just a use of living as a carbon. It's a piece of it. It's one aspect of it. It's not a giving up. It's a fulfillment. It's not the only way to fulfill. We can fulfill by living as carbonos. You don't have to die as carbonos. That's why normally you bring an animal as a carbon, not a person as a carbon, right? But if a person is does need to give themselves as a korban, right? We don't bring people on a mezbeach, but it has certainly happened too many times in history that Jews had the opportunity to give themselves as karbanos for the sake of Torah and for the glory of God. Then that's a fulfillment of our lives, just all in one shot. Well, we actually, throughout history, the Jews were korbanos. Yeah, over and over again, many, many times. But generally speaking, right, if you go into the Beis Hamikdash, the goal is to bring, let's say, an animal carbon so that you have the same experience of the carbon without actually, and then you can walk away and go do something, right? So normally we don't, and we work in partnership with an animal for that. Okay, so we're going to stop here. Next week in Merit Hashem, I want to, oh yeah, hang on one second. So next week in Merit Hashem, we'll continue some of these other things. Yeah. We're talking about that becoming really the gift that God gave us. Yeah. And um, I remember reading something from 
Harambam, and he says that uh, eating from the Etz Hadar was not really a punishment, it was a reward, because if he didn't eat from Etz Hadar, he would not have that that you know, of yes. choosing bad and good, and we will stay like <laughs> So Hashem gave it to us with the Nisayon. Yeah, he could have stopped us. So I don't know the reference you're talking about, but... It was actually in Moreno Yeah, I never learned Moreno Vuchim. But... But Lamaisa, like, this is the way the world had to play out, really. I think we've talked about that multiple times in different ways. There is an idea 